little bit later start, but we are starting. <laughs> uh, we do have a couple of announcements uh, to get out of the way. Uh, the first one, the ladies, we will be meeting here on March 19th at 10 a.m. Uh, there will be a luncheon, and if you can please bring your favorite mug, uh, whatever you use for your coffee, your hot chocolate, your tea, your favorite mug, be sure to bring that. Also, um, March 30th, Wednesday, there will not be a service due to the fact that we have district conference. Uh, so we don't have any ministers that are going to be able to be here to take that service. So just giving you that heads up. So the Bible study on Wednesday, March 30th will be canceled. Hallelujah. Have you guys come to praise him? Right. Well then, let's praise, let's praise, let's praise the Lord. Let's praise, let's praise, let's praise the Lord. He brought me out and set me free from this old world of misery. Let's praise, let's praise the Lord. Come on, let's praise, let's praise. Let's praise the Lord. Let's praise, let's praise, let's praise the Lord. He brought me out and set me free from this old world of misery. Let's praise, let's praise the Lord. Let's praise, let's praise, let's praise the Lord. Let's praise, let's praise. Let's praise the Lord. He brought me out and set me free from this old world of misery. Let's praise, let's praise the Lord. Let's praise, let's praise, let's praise the Lord. Let's praise, let's praise, let's praise the Lord. He brought me out and set me free from this old world of misery. Let's praise, let's praise the Lord. Let's praise, let's praise, let's praise the Lord. Let's praise, let's praise, let's praise the Lord. He brought me out and set me free from this old world of misery. Let's praise, let's praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, we have come into your gates, Lord, with thanksgiving and praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. We praise your holy name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I give you the highest praise, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed?
washed in the blood, in the soul, cleansing blood of the Lamb. Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you walking daily by the Savior's side? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you rest each moment in the crucified? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul, cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? When the bridegroom cometh, will your robes be white? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Will your soul be ready for the mansion's bright and be washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless, white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Lay aside the garments that are stained with sin and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. There's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean. Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed? In the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb. Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for that blood that washes away our sin. Hallelujah, Jesus, that brings us salvation. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you for that sacrifice. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, I love you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I'll say yes. Lord, yes, to your will and to your way, I'll say yes, Lord, yes, 
I will trust you and obey when your spirit speaks to me. With my whole heart I'll agree and my answer will be yes, Lord, yes. I'll say yes, Lord, yes. To your will and to your way, I'll say yes, Lord, yes. I will trust you and obey when your spirit speaks to me. With my whole heart, I'll agree and my answer will be yes. Lord, yes, I'll say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. I'll say yes, Lord, yes, I will trust you and obey when your spirit speaks to me. With my whole heart I'll agree, and my answer will be yes, Lord, yes. I'll say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. I'll say yes, Lord, yes. I will trust you and obey when your spirit speaks to me. With my whole heart I'll agree and my answer will be yes, Lord, yes. Hallelujah. Will you say yes to him today? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, I give you glory. I give you honor and praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, you are worthy, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You can be seated. And may the Lord bless you today, and he will keep you. I have to get set up here a little bit. Has anybody read the book, The Tale of Two Cities? Oh. One of the first lines in that book is, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. And so it is. Sometimes it's the best of times, but it can also be the worst of times. Um, So I'm going to give you some of the best of times to begin with. Um, In Bangladesh, if you remember when Brother and Sister Corbin were here, they were building that Bible school. Well, they had their first graduation class. And they are so grateful and so thankful um, for these hungry people that are willing to go to their own country, they are taught at the Bible school, and then they go out and they have such a heart for God. In Bangladesh, the Lord has been moving in all these small villages. Now that the people are able to gather, people have been 
baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. And God is so great. Do you remember when the Adams were here and they talked about, if you weren't here, it's worth going and watching, um, how God had called them to a city, how they struggled to find a place, the pandemic comes, and then everything shut down, and how God provided them with a church building that was already built that they could move into. They had to do just a little bit of work. So this is a letter from the Adams. They had their church dedication January 23rd. I'm going to put that on the bulletin board so you can read it. And then they sent pictures of their church. God is a great provider. He provides for us. He takes care for us. And it is so encouraging to hear what God does for others because if he did it for them, he can do it for us. Also in El Paso, um, the Lord has been moving mightily. Um, the family there, is it the Matra? Is it the Matra? Is that how you pronounce it? Family, M-A-R-T-T-A. Anyway, we support them, and God has been moving. Um, just recently, 13 were uh, baptized in the name of Jesus, and they are able again to go to the hospital and be volunteer chaplains, and since that time, they have visited with nearly 200 people. Um, they are also, re- also co-sponsoring, lead- teaching a Bible study in their local public school. Um, they have also been going to recovery homes. They're teaching Bible studies. The Lord has opened up great opportunities for them. And I'm so grateful that um, things are opening up. In other countries, little by little, their borders are being opened up. And um, it's a great blessing to be able to travel freely in some of these countries like New Zealand. I know that they just started a work in New Zealand and supposedly by July they're supposed to open up those borders in the South Pacific, those islands that are one country, but uh, their borders have been closed from island to island and they are beginning to open. And I am so grateful for what God is doing. Um, Also, I want to let you know that um, Brother Rushing did pass away. So please keep in prayer. He's that our missionary that we support from Korea. Um, Please keep his family in mind. He has a wife. Monica is her first name. He has a daughter that looks like, I think she's under five years old. She's three. Yeah, she's three. So remember them in prayer to be able to negotiate, navigate all this situation. The Lord can see the beginning from the end. We always can't. We don't always understand when somebody young ends up going. We feel like before their time. But God has a purpose and a plan for each one of our lives. And he knows when our time is to go. Um, Also, I just want to speak on Ukraine a little bit. Brother and Sister and Becker and I, we talked about this earlier on Friday. But um, there is a scripture in Psalms 78. And the last verse is 73, and it says, So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart, and he guided them by the skillfulness of his hand. We have missionaries in Ukraine, Belarus. We have body members. We have church members. You know, I I read, if the report is true, 150,000 people have already fled to other borders of other countries trying to get out of that country. Well, you know, not every person is going to get out of that country, and we don't know what the outcome will be. But this one thing we know, that that is the body of Christ. And when they hurt, we hurt. 
But our God is able to supply their needs physically, and he is able to give them wisdom, direction, discretion, discernment. There does not need to be fear. Now, I don't know what it's like to have war on the border of my country. I don't know what it's like to have bombs go off in my country, but I know that could bring great fear. And why wouldn't it? Of course it would. But they are the body of the Christ, and we need to pray for them. And I've had such a burden. And, you know, it's true all over Taiwan, in Africa. They always are having conflict. In South America, I mean, all these countries, Malaysia, in the Philippines, we don't know because we have been blessed in this country. But pray, if you don't have a burden for a country, pray that God would give you a burden. You know, I remember a few years ago, Brother DeMuth said, you know, I just have such a burden for Brazil. And for a while, I just had such a burden for North Korea. I don't know why. And I have prayed for them, and then the burden lifted. But pray for the body of Christ. They are hurting, and we need to be hurting. We need to feel their pain. We need to pray for them. You know, we don't know what is ahead. We don't know what our future holds. But we know the God who holds every tomorrow. There does not need to be fear. And I'm just grateful that when I have a need, you'll pray. And when you have a need, I'll pray. And it would be such an encouragement to them to know that others around the world are praying for them. So if you would just lift your hands, your heart, your voices to God. Can we just intercede right now for this country in Jesus' name? Lord, I pray that you would move in the midst of these people, God. Let's pray, church. Lord Jesus, we bring these needs before you right now. We understand that you have all power, you have all authority. We also understand that you are on the throne, that you have all things in the palm of your hand. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. We turn to you now, the Lord our God, who is on the throne, who sets up kings and pulls them down again. Give wisdom, knowledge, understanding to your people in these areas. Dispatch angels to encamp about them, we pray, and protect them from all forms of harm and injury. Do the supernatural, I pray. Do the miraculous, we pray, in behalf of our brothers and our sisters. Hallelujah, Jesus. We feel their need today. I pray, God, that you would not give them, you have not given them the spirit of fear, but give them power and love and a sound mind. I rebuke the spirit of fear in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray peace that passes all understanding. Hallelujah, Jesus. I pray, Lord God, that they would turn to you, that they would lean upon and rely upon you for direction, for protection, for deliverance. Hallelujah, Jesus. We pray a blessing upon our brothers and sisters in these areas. Help them, I pray, do a mighty work in the midst of this. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Praise God. Amen, amen. Let's continue to remember them. Not just in Ukraine, not just in Russia. We have a church in China that's persecuted. We have churches in in various African countries that are being persecuted. Middle Eastern countries that it's just about literally a death sentence to say yes to Jesus Christ. 
people are saying yes. Amen. They love not their lives unto the death. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Sister Rudy, <coughs> for that update. Thank you all for being here today. Uh, I do want to honor our guests this morning, uh, Christopher and Dana. I remember. Okay. Amen. Brother and Sister uh, Parker minister to them. Brother Parker is the a chaplain there at Benedict's, and uh, that's where Christopher works. So we are so glad to have you here with us this morning. Amen. <clears throat> How many know that there is deception and counterfeits all over the place? There sure are. In the world... <laughs> In the world, you've got to be careful. You've got to be careful what email you click on. You've got to be careful what website you put in. Because there's viruses, there's malware, there's adware, there's keyloggers, there's, there's all of these devices or programs designed to get information from you so that they can exploit that. That website that you logged into, that's not really your bank website. It looks like it, but it's not. It's a fake. It's a counterfeit. And it's designed to get your bank information. In the world, and certainly in the spiritual, deception and counterfeits are everywhere. If we look at 2 Kings chapter 17, we're going to look at verse 25, and then we'll drop down to verses 33 and 34. We see a curious thing. And this has, every time I run across this in my, uh, my yearly Bible reading, I make it a point to, I need to go back and study that out a little bit. I've run across it several times now, and I've, I've finally done that, at least a little bit. <laughs> Second Kings chapter 17 and verse 25 says this, And so it was at the beginning of their dwelling there, that they feared not the Lord, Therefore the Lord sent lions among them, which slew some of them. Dropping down to verse 33. They feared the Lord and served their own gods, after the manner of the nations whom they carried away from thence. Unto this day they do after the former manners. They fear not the Lord, neither do they after their statutes, or after their ordinances, or after the law and commandment which the Lord commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel. So we understand that in the world, in the spiritual, for sure, there are deceptions, there are counterfeits. Anytime God wants to do something, the enemy rises up with a fake. Anytime the Lord raises a standard, Satan raises a different one, an easier one, one that does not require sacrifice, one that does not require us to give of ourselves, one that requires no chains whatsoever. Truly, His way is the broad way, the easy way. And so, we see this in the world today. We see uh, the doctrine or the institution of marriage, for example. Well, Satan says, not necessary. One man and one woman. Satan says, irrelevant. They espouse today the benefits of single parenting. They minimize the efficacy of 
having a, a male figure in the home. It's irrelevant. It's a dusty relic of, of a bygone era. One we've thankfully moved past now. Morality, ethics, is a thing in history. Not really practiced anymore. There are individuals that have it, certainly. But as bodies, as corporations, as government uh, institutions, not observed. The law is whatever I can get away with. God teaches something entirely different. In our study today, we're going to be looking at conversion. Counterfeit conversion. Now, we understand conversion is absolutely necessary. According to Charles Spurgeon, I think this is an apt definition, true conversion, conversion leads us from sin to righteousness, from self to Christ, from the world to heaven, from rebellion to obedience. Amen. That's what conversion does. It leads us away from our old nature. It leads us toward Christ. We were walking in this direction after the former manner, after our own lusts. But then we encountered a Savior. We encountered salvation. We encountered deliverance, an option. I don't have to live this way anymore. Where before, I didn't have a choice. I was bound in sin. I didn't have an option. I was a slave. Just like the the Israelites in Egypt. They were slaves. They didn't have any other option but to serve the Egyptians. I didn't have any other option, and neither did you, except to serve the enemy. But then Jesus freed me. He delivered me. He gave me a choice. Now I serve Him. I'm still a servant. But His yoke is easy, and His burden is light. Conversion, of course, can also be counterfeited. If we look at our scripture texts, we find three states. Their initial state was that they feared not the Lord. Then their counterfeit conversion. They feared the Lord and served their own gods. The true state of their hearts, while they professed to be converted, of course, was that they feared not the Lord. The Samaritans, which is who we're talking about here, were most likely forced to relocate to where the former nation of Israel was. At this point in history, Israel was conquered and relocated to the nation of Assyria. The Samaritans did not inquire about God. They weren't really interested, I can imagine, in who this God was. They were relocated. They found land. It was good land. They started tilling it, started producing, getting jobs, carrying on day to day. Things are okay. They had no interest in this God. They had no interest in His laws, His commandments. They just weren't interested. Maybe they'd heard something of Him. They probably have. Something of His laws, His precepts, His judgments, His testimonies. But they certainly weren't interested in any of those. Maybe they even had in their minds a bit of disdain for this God. After all, 
He couldn't beat the gods of the Assyrians. The Israelites lost. The Assyrians won. So this God, probably not anything worth mentioning. However, they came to live near a people who did fear God. At the time, Judah was still a nation. Probably, Hezekiah was king at this time. And Hezekiah was a very good king who loved God, who served God with all of his heart. Now, it should be, it should be a true thing that when a sinner, when someone who has no interest in God, no interest in serving God, no interest in, in discovering who this God is, it should be that when they encounter a true Christian, one who is baptized in Jesus' name, one who is filled with the Holy Ghost, that they feel something different. It should be hard for someone to maintain indifference to religion, to spirituality, to truth in the presence of a child of God. It should be difficult to maintain that indifference. Why? Because they feel something different. When we speak, they should be hearing the words of God. And I don't exaggerate when I say that. When we encounter people on the street, we encounter people in the workplace. They should know there's something different about us. They should know that there's something something else in our lives. They probably don't know what it is. When I first started searching for truth, searching for something more, I had no idea what I was looking for. I didn't have the first clue. I just knew that there had to be more. I didn't know how I knew that there had to be more. I do now. The Lord was leading me. The Lord was directing me to truth. But when I came into that church and I felt the presence of God so powerfully, I knew that I'd found what I was looking for. I still didn't know what this feeling was. I didn't know what what was going on here. But I knew instinctively this was it. So the Samaritans were parked next to Judah, who did serve God, who did have an understanding of the one true God. But still no conversion. They did end up converting, not because of a knowledge of God, not because of the people of God in Judah, but because of the lions. God sent lions. They weren't converted because they all of a sudden got an understanding of of good and evil and they wanted to pursue righteousness. They wanted to please God now. They had no desire to please God. They had no interest in that. They were converted because of the teeth and the fierceness of the lions. How many people today are converted simply out of fear, simply because of a foxhole experience? God, if you can get me out of this, I'll serve you with my life. How many people actually follow through with that? God takes care of it. 
Oh, situation's gone. I'm good to go. Go on with their lives. They have no interest in serving God. They want the situation to stop. They want the pain to stop. Fair enough. Nobody likes pain. Well, I guess there are a few that do. Most everyone hates pain. I don't like pain. If it can stop sooner rather than later, that's all right with me. No troubles, no difficulties, no conversion. No lions, no interest. No pain, no suffering, no desire to change. People come to the Lord in these foxhole experiences because in everyone's heart of hearts, we know that God is real. The Bible teaches us that. Everybody understands that God is real. That's why the atheists, I've said this a thousand times, that's why the atheists hate him so much. If they didn't believe in him, they would just be indifferent. Go ahead and believe in God. Whatever you want to do. But they don't do that. They get furious when you mention God. They hate God. Their conversion was accomplished in gross ignorance. They didn't want to know God, but the manner of the God of the land. That's what they were interested in. They had no desire to have a relationship with God, to understand who this God was, anything like that. They just wanted to know what His manner was. They thought, probably, of God as just another petty God of that territory just like all the other gods they served in Assyria. The God of this, the God of that, the God of life, the God of fertility, the God of death, the God of crops, the God of homes, the God of this, that, and the other. All kinds of gods who had their own little niche area that they were in charge of. They probably thought of this God as just like that. He just must be the God of this land. There are those today who convert to Christianity and are only interested in the externals. There's no true conversion. There's no true love of God. There's no desire to establish or or to build a relationship with God. They're just interested in the externals. How, How does one dress when they're a Christian? How many times do I have to go to church to be considered a Christian? There are people who come to church for all kinds of reasons. I'm glad everyone here is in church today, whatever the reason. But there are better reasons than others, aren't there? The best reason to be in church is a desire to seek the face of God, a desire to draw nigh unto Him, a desire to serve Him with our lives, to please Him because we love Him. We love Him because He first loved us. People will come in and observe the other Christians. How do they live? How do they act? What are the rules that I need to observe to be a part of this church? They convert to a creed. 
to sacraments, to rules, to a form. But not to God. Not to God. True conversion means we become interested in knowing not just the manner of the God of the land, but we become interested in knowing God. We want a relationship with Him. We're not interested in what all of you think. And I don't take that the wrong way. We're interested in what God thinks. What does He think of my life? What does He think of the way I'm living? What does He think of the choices I'm making? If He is good with those, I'm sorry, it doesn't matter what you think. And vice versa. As long as God is good with the way I'm living, I'm right with Scripture. I'm right with God. That's what concerns me. That's all that's ever concerned me. Is God pleased with me? Is God pleased with my choices, my decisions, my actions? If He is, things are good. Things are fantastic. Everyone else might hate my guts. And I'm sorry about that. That does bother me. I'd rather everyone loved me. But if you don't, as long as I'm right with God, I can accept everything else. If we're right with God, if we're in right standing with Him, we love Him and He loves us, we understand those things. We can go to prison, folks, and it'd be fine. We don't want to go to prison. We don't want to go through anything like that. But if we do, it's fine, because I'm still right with God. God knows where I'm at. God understands how I'm feeling. So it's okay. I can go through hard times, difficult situations, and things are fine. If I convert just to know the manner of the God of the land, if I convert simply to establish some business contacts here in this great big old church of ours, then as soon as it becomes inconvenient, where's, where's Rob Becker at? Where, I haven't seen him in a while. Well, he left a long time ago because I was asked to pay a price. I was asked to, to give something. I was asked to change I was asked to grow. I was asked to become Christ-like. See, the counterfeits, the counterfeits give you an easy option. But the counterfeits are just that. They're fake. They won't lead you. I can click on the bank account. I can click on the bank website that they emailed me. And they're going to make it real easy for me to put all my information in. You don't want to confirm who I am? Hmm, okay, this is easy enough. But now my information is all gone. Right? It might be a little bit harder to do it the real way, but I did it the real way. I accomplished the task that, that needed to be accomplished. We look at the parable of the prodigal son. We understand that the younger son was a bit of a moron, right? 
He wasn't all that smart. Not too bright. He wanted all the money. Give me my inheritance now, because I'm going to go have a good time. How many think that's a good idea? Yeah, nobody thinks that's a good idea. But for whatever reason, this guy thought, man, I'm a genius. This is great. I got all this money and no bills. So he goes and he has a good time. He gets friends who are very happy to help him spend the money. And then when the money's gone, where'd everyone go? They're gone. That was a counterfeit situation. Life is good. Life is grand. I have all these friends. I have all of this money. Until he didn't. When we build our lives on things in this world, we build our lives on a career, we build our lives on money, we build our lives even on relationships. How many know that money can leave you at the drop of a hat? The stock market can tank. If you were invested in in Facebook a little bit ago, you were doing really good, and then you really weren't. It can happen just like that. Your money's gone. Friends can leave you. Spouses can leave you. Friends. Whoever you have a relationship, that can change in an instant. You say one wrong word, do one wrong thing. And the relationship is irreparably broken. There's only one thing that we can build on that is sure to last. And that's the Word of God. That's the only thing that will surely last, not just this lifetime, but throughout eternity. That's the real deal. That's the foundation that's strong. Nothing else is going to last. And the prodigal son, he, he realized that eventually. He came to himself, Scripture says. Would to God that everybody would come to themselves that easily. That all it would take was a bankruptcy and and some humility. But he comes to himself and he says, What am I doing? I'm a son of a great man, a rich man. And I'm trying to get a job feeding the pigs. What they're eating looks good right now. I'm so hungry. I'm friendless. I'm penniless. I'm destitute. And he knows that all he has to do is make the trek back home. And he does so with humility and repentance. Isn't that exactly what we do when we come to the Lord? Most of us in some form, fashion, or other, have been humbled by life. We've been afflicted. We've lost. We've felt pain. The lions have come against us. 
but rather than fake it, there is a real conversion that can take place. There is a real salvation that can happen. When the prodigal came back, he said, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Hire me as one of your servants. Because he, he thought to himself, his servants have enough and to spare. They have more than enough. Maybe he'll hire me as one of those. And he would have been good. A lot better off than he was. But his father said, no. You're my son. And he celebrated that his son had finally returned home. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Put a robe over him. Killed the fatted calf and celebrated. That's the conversion we're talking about. Not a fake, counterfeit conversion where it looks good on the outside, but it's rottenness and corruption on the inside. We read that their conversion was accomplished by an unfaithful priest. 2 Kings chapter 17, verses 27 and 28 says this, then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Carry thither one of the priests whom ye brought from thence, and let them go and dwell there, and let him teach them the manner of the God of the land. Then one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel, and taught them how they should fear the Lord. <clears throat> Verse 32, dropping down, says this, So they feared the Lord and made unto themselves of the lowest of them priests of the high places, which sacrificed for them in the houses of the high places. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we see how they were taught to worship this God of the land. They see how they were taught about his manners, his customs. We need to understand a little bit of history about the nation of Israel versus Judah. We read all the way back when Israel was separated between Judah and Israel. Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, became king in Judah. Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Nebat, became king in Israel, over ten tribes. And so, Jeroboam, not willing that any should continue to travel to Jerusalem, because they might just stay in Judah, he developed his own religion. He developed his own gods. He established two calves, two golden calves, one in Bethel, and one in Dan. And said, here are your gods, O Israel. Worship them. And it goes on to say that Jeroboam made of the lowest of the people priests. That's how he chose the priests. Again, counterfeits to what God had already established. What God had established for the worship of the one true God was that you will not make an image of me. There will be no image of me. So Jeroboam makes two images. God stated that only a descendant of Levi is going to be a priest of mine. Only the Levites can be priests. Jeroboam said, 
I'll just grab the dregs. Whoever's not doing anything, you want to be a priest? Cool. Counterfeits. Easy. So this is how this priest taught the people of the, that had moved in, how to worship this God, how to deal with him. This is not how they were supposed to worship the one true God. It had nothing to do with worshiping the one true God. It had nothing to do with the God of the land. Unfortunately, the God of the land was never worshipped after Jeroboam, not in Israel, maybe by individuals, but not as a nation. There was not one good king that sat on the throne of Israel. They built altars on every high hill. God's command was that there would be only one altar, the altar of sacrifice, part of the tabernacle plan. Their conversion involved no change, no repentance, no death, no blood sacrifice. And they could do it whenever and wherever and however they wanted. It cost them nothing. It was easy. No love for God, no love for any God, only the fear of the lions. That was all they had. We read later that they really didn't fear the Lord. They acted like it. They thought they were following the customs of the God of the land. But they insulted the Lord in worshiping other gods beside Him. The one true God will not share His glory with anyone or anything else. He is the highest. He is the greatest. He is the only one worthy of worship. There are no gods beside Him. In Isaiah it says there is no Savior beside Him. There is no one that gives God counsel. There is no one that instructs God in wisdom. He possesses all wisdom, all knowledge, all understanding. There is no one, there is no thing higher than Him. They did not obey Him. They had no desire to obey Him. They only wanted the lions to go away. That was their only desire. And again, okay, fair enough. You want the lions to go away. But there's something so much more powerful at stake here. The lions are coming back, folks. They're not leaving. They're going to be back. And when they go away, they're going to be back again. How are we going to deal with it when they're here? If, if all we're going to do is just keep having these foxhole conversions. Okay, hypocrite. Okay, liar. That makes no sense at all. Here's a better option. How about we truly convert? And then when the lions come back, we have someone to fight our battles for us. We have someone to walk through the tribulation with us. We can lean on His strength. We can rely on His wisdom, His direction. Rather than have to do it ourselves, and when we fail, again, God help. That's not what God is here for. It's 
kind of a corny, tacky saying, but it's true. God is not Santa Claus. He's not the genie in the bottle. Just there waiting to come out and help us when we have, whenever we need him. Then we just stuff him back in the bottle till next time. That's not the God I serve. Don't treat God like that. We need to fear. We need to reverence. We need to respect this holy and righteous God. He's worthy of it. Later in history, we see how these same people responded, the spirit behind them, in Ezra. They came and told Ezra and told Nehemiah they'd like to join the work. They looked at him and said, mm, No. You have no part with us. You can't trace your lineage back to Abraham. You're not, you're not a child of God. You have no relationship with God. You have no covenant with this God. We have no part with you. Leave. So, of course, they responded in form by writing letters to kings to stop the work. They even attacked them to try to stop the work. They had no interest in the work. None at all. They didn't care if the work got completed or not. It was Ishmael who hated Isaac because although he was not in the line of succession, he was very near akin to Isaac. Very near akin. They were brothers. They looked the same, very similar. On the outside, they were pretty much the same. But spiritually, inside, things were night and day different. The counterfeit versus the real. The wheat and the tares, when they're sown together, you can't tell them apart. Until the end, when they produce fruit, then you can tell. Esau and Jacob. Esau hated Jacob. They were brothers. They were very near akin to each other. Their spirits were night and day different. The counterfeit versus the real. We need the real. You can choose the counterfeit. You can choose the easy. You can choose a bloodless, sacrificeless, easy, quick way to to get to heaven. There are a thousand options out there. And I am so sick and tired of apathy and uh, lethargy, spiritual apathy, because we are so full. We have so many choices in the United States. Take your pick. If it's not there, you can just, it's like a smorgasbord. You know what that is, right? A huge table filled with every kind of food, fruit, vegetable, meat, potato, whatever. It's all there. And you can just pick and choose. Oh, I like this. I like this doctor, and I'm going to take three of those. Uh, I don't like that. Pass. Well, let me try this. See if I like this one. And we'll get our plate. Now I got a religion. Now I got a worldview. I got a belief system. We can do that in the United States here. But it's counterfeit. Again, I don't have time to go into all the reasons why. But there's plenty of reasons why. Biblical Christianity is the only, the only thing that's fundamentally true. Internally, externally consistent. 
It's cogent. It, it, it matches up with reality in every conceivable way. It's rational. We have reasons to believe it. It's not a blind faith. Scripture is true. It's true from cover to cover. From the very first verse to the very last verse. It's altogether true. And if it's true, then it behooves us to know what it says and to do it. Because again, folks, one day we're going to be judged by that book. Now Jesus loves each and every one of us. That's why He hung on a cross. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's His plan for everybody that's ever been born. He doesn't create people just to see Him go to hell. If you got that in your head, please get it out. That's not the God we serve. God loves every person that He's created. He died for every person that He's created. But it's got to be done His way. It can't be done your way. I had a question a little bit ago uh, about the sacrifices of Cain and Abel. Why did God get mad at Cain and, and not Abel? He gave the first fruits. Cain gave the first fruits. He didn't hold back. He gave the best, the best offering. <laughs> it was the wrong offering. It was given in disobedience. God had dictated to them that it would be by the shedding of blood that remission takes place. Remission of sin happens. Not the shedding of fruits and vegetables. Adam and Eve already tried that, remember? Tried covering themselves in fig leaves. God said, that's not going to cut it. That's not going to work. So he killed an animal. He shed the blood of an animal and covered them in the animal skins. That's how serious sin is. It takes the shedding of blood to cover it. Israel, year after year, after year would come in with the shed blood of a lamb on the Day of Atonement. The high priest would bring it into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle it on the... the uh, uh, mercy seat, thank you. I'm glad we got Bible literate people here. Help me out. <laughs> Amen. On the mercy seat. They do that every year because the sacrifice wasn't sufficient to take care of the sin, to pay for it. They just rolled it forward year after year after year, but it was still there. The debt was still there until the time of Jesus Christ. Jesus, his one sacrifice was sufficient for all of your sin. It was sufficient for my sin. I will never stop being grateful for His sacrifice. He's done everything that He can. He's done everything He can to get me saved, to get me right with Him, to lead me to a place of repentance, to lead me to a place of Christ-likeness. And then at the end of my life, an eternity spent with Him. He doesn't want people to go to hell. But people choose to do that. I promise you, the average American has heard this many times. And they say, no, not right now. I'm busy. Nope, not right now. Thank you, but no. And eventually, I mean, God's not going to, He's not going to break through your free will. He's going to honor that. He's not going to force Himself on you. He could. A lot of times I wish you would. I wish you would in my life, but he's not going to. I have to choose to serve him. 
I have to choose to be obedient to him. Every day of my life, I have to, cho- I have to make that choice. And so does everyone else. If they choose something else, God's going to honor that choice. Whether they know it or not, though, they're choosing hell. They're choosing an eternity separated from God. They're choosing a counterfeit. They think it's going to work. They think it's, it's going to be okay. But it's not. It's not. So we have a choice today. We have a choice every day. Every day we wake up. We can choose Jesus. We can choose to serve and to love and, and to follow after Him. Or we can choose anything else. Anything else. Everything else is a counterfeit. It'll be easier. It'll be quicker. But where it ends up isn't where you want to go. Amen. Let's all stand. As in all days, we have a choice to make today. Continue to serve Jesus. Maybe we're making that choice for the first time. Maybe we're making it for the 10,000th time. It doesn't matter. Every day we're going to have that choice. To respond to the love of Jesus Christ. To respond to His act of sacrifice on the cross. To respond to everything that He's done for us or to deny it and to walk away. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. If you choose the real deal, it's not easy. His burden is easy. His yoke is light. Yoke is easy. Burden is light. But it also says that we will, through much much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. We talked about brokenness. We talked about uh, in times past, we've, we've talked about all of these things. Life doesn't become peaches and cream just because we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. The lions are still going to be there. They're still going to show up from time to time. We're still going to walk through dark places. We're still going to walk difficult paths. Sometimes because of us. Sometimes because that's where the Lord wants us to go. Straight is the gate. Narrow is the way that leads to life. And few there be that find it. Today all of us have an opportunity to choose that. It may not necessarily be as easy in this life. In some ways it's going to be a lot easier. When you do go through difficult times, someone's going through it with you now. You have covenant promises to stand on now. But it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be a cakewalk to glory. It won't. There are people, Christians in the world today, who are suffering persecution for their faith. The only reason they're being persecuted is because they profess Jesus Christ. At any time, they could recant, they could stop, they could stop the pain, they could send the lions away just by saying no. I don't believe in Jesus anymore. I'll stop professing Jesus. 
That's all they'd have to do. But at what cost? What's the real price here? If it means they have an easy, fun life for the rest of the time they're here, what then? What happens afterward? The Bible says if you deny me, I'll deny you. If you profess me before men, I'll profess you. Whatever, whatever his response is, is predicated on our action, our choice. It's not mean old God. He's given you a choice. Make the choice this morning. Make a good choice. Don't be the prodigal son. Don't take the easy way. Take the right way. Take the right way. Amen. Let's all come to the front. I want us to spend some time in the presence of God, speaking with Him, letting Him speak with you.